everyone, and welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you for tuning back into our series on Revelation. We are so glad you're joining us. Today, we are covering the very tail, tail end of chapter 11, and then spending all the rest of our time on chapter 12. And friends, we have a lot to cover today, because we are going to be bringing in aspects of chapter 12 that are going to tie directly in to the story of Moses. It's so amazing what is starting to happen in Revelation, and you can't miss these details. It's so important. And so I want to open up, because because it's so important, I just want to open up with a couple comments and maybe something just to ask yourself. You know, when you're reading back through Revelation, try to remember to ask yourself the question, how would a first century Jewish believer have understood these things? Or how would a first century Gentile believer have understood have understood these things, having been taught by the Jewish apostles, right? Because what took place when these people were learning about Christ? They had to learn about him through the Torah, through the prophets, through the ancient writings that we now call the Old Testament. And as believers, modern day believers, any of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, most people out there, most believers I know, don't camp out very much in the Old Testament. A lot of us start our faith journey in the New Testament. That's what we're taught. And so we don't really understand our Hebraic roots because we don't study the scriptures from a Hebraic mindset. And friends, it makes all the difference in the world when you study the scriptures with a Hebraic mindset. The church today, the Western church mainly, we study scriptures from a Greek mindset. I can't go into all that right now. That's going to have to be a different podcast. But there is a difference because what happens is first century believers, they would have come to the text that we're about to read in Revelation and would have understood it clearly. But we get to chapter 12, for example, and it's strange and none of it seems to make sense and it's very mysterious. And so I just want us to keep that in mind. We are going to try to bridge a few gaps in chapter 12 with the story of Moses and the exodus out of Egypt. We are not going to go into every single solitary detail of chapter 12. It is just, we would be here all day. But we're going to really hit on a lot of the key points that are going to be the most important takeaways for you. And so I want to begin quickly by just closing out chapter 11, because we didn't do that last time because there was so much we were talking about with the two witnesses. But I don't want us to skip out on that. And so this is where that last trumpet comes in from the last series of the seven trumpets. So let's finish this out. I'm going to read this. And I believe this is starting in verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. 
So the second interlude has passed, and now the seventh trumpet sounds. And all of a sudden, there's a proclamation. The kingdoms of our world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So this exaltation begins in heaven. And as they go into this exaltation, the temple of God is opened, and the Ark of the Covenant is clearly seen in his temple. The Ark! People have been looking for the Ark for thousands of years. So the Ark is made visible. And as it's made visible, the earth immediately experiences more tremors, lightnings, an earthquake, and great hail begins to fall. It's indicating that the old is passing away and the new is slowly emerging. It is incredibly exciting. And so now as we move into chapter 12, we've been following these patterns of these first six judgments, then it darts away, then continuing the seventh judgment. Well, now there's like a break in the pattern. And what should be the first six bold judgments, they don't appear. Instead, over the next few chapters, events are going to follow each other so closely that there is neither time nor space between them in order for other events to take place. And so these few chapters, these next few chapters we'll go into over the next few episodes, they are inserted before the final wrath of God's judgment is poured out through the bold judgments. And there is a lot that takes place in the next few chapters. So let's read chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there one thousand two hundred and sixty days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. But when the dragon saw that he had been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. 
So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, we have now entered into a very complex, highly symbolic chapter, and it opens with that incredible vision, the picture of a, of a naked, heavily pregnant mother who is clothed in the sun and of a multi-headed red dragon waiting for her to deliver her son or her child in order for him to devour that child, to kill it. I mean, it's really remarkable, actually. We're going to talk about the woman clothed in the sun and the moon at the end. But for right now, we're going to address some other things. First and foremost, in this text, we are confronted with two signs right off the bat. The first sign is called a great sign, and it's this woman. And the second sign is just called another sign, and it's referring to the dragon. So what is this all about? Well, we're going to get to the woman in a few minutes, but let's start off first with the dragon. We know who the dragon is. It's Satan. It's the devil. And he's actually introduced for the first time in Revelation in this chapter, like a formal introduction. He hasn't been mentioned since the letters to the seven churches. And so the seals and the trumpets, they already loosed their burdens on the earth, right? While Satan has been in heaven. And as an angel and a divine being, he has access to the heavenly realms. Just read Ephesians 6.12 or compare it to Job chapter 1 verses 6 through 7. You know, that's where the real battle between good and evil is being fought out. Anyone entering these realms through prayer, understand that. And so Satan, the devil, he's wanting to destroy the child that this woman bears as soon as it's born, which is interesting because this text right here pivots our thoughts back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where after the fall of mankind, right, we see this curse put upon the serpent. We see a curse put upon the man and then, of course, upon the woman. What does God do? What does he say? Well, He put enmity between the woman and the serpent and between her seed and his seed. He made them hostile to each other. Well, and who is the serpent from Genesis? Well, it says it right here in Revelation 12, verse 9. The great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So scripture interpreted scripture for us. And so history, my friends, if you were to look at your Bible, redemptive history of the entire Bible is defined by this conflict, this battle, this war that is taking place between the righteous seed of this woman, the descendants of this woman, and the unrighteous seed of the serpent. The serpent doesn't literally have children. It's in a spiritual sense. You know, remember in the Gospels, Jesus would say, your father is the devil. You desire the things that he desires. You want to accomplish his will. So anyone who is not for Christ is against him. 
and their father is the devil. So he has spiritual children in a sense. And so the whole crux of the Bible, that biblical narrative all the way through, is all about this conflict between the righteous and the unrighteous, Satan and his followers, and God and his. It's truly a picture of the parable of the wheat and the tares at the same time. And the interesting thing is, it comes to a climax in Revelation, right here where we're reading, begins the end of this relationship. It's going to give us the end of this story. You know, and it's interesting throughout your Bible and throughout history, how you read about people like Pharaoh. It's a picture of this battle between good and evil. You read about Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes, where he was the one where the whole story of the Maccabees, where Hanukkah comes from because of his assault on the Jewish people and slaughtering a pig in the temple and all of that, right? Or the various Roman Caesars and Herod, right? These are all uh, reflections or shadows of what's to come at the end of the age, the ultimate showdown. And so we've seen this pattern in scripture and we see it all around us today, right? Well, at the end, beginning here, we see that the ultimate seed that comes from the righteous, that seed, which is Messiah, and we see the ultimate seed, which comes from the unrighteous, which is going to be the Antichrist. And it is going to be all about the culmination of that story that started all the way back in Genesis come to an end. So we have reflections of that here in this chapter. But we also see some of this in Daniel chapter 7, which I encourage you to read. Bring Daniel chapter 7 into your reading of Revelation. Because it says in part of this passage, one like the Son of Man, who is Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven. And he is then presented to the Ancient of Days, who is Yahweh, Father God. And Father presents him with a kingdom and dominion. And all the peoples of the earth will submit to him. So he is the one who is going to rule all the nations with a rod, like this chapter says. It also mentions that in Psalm 2. Because he is that ultimate seed. And from him come all of these children that are born of this seed. And he is also the true king of Israel. So it's very very clear in pictures, in scriptures, who these seeds are. So we understand who this dragon is. We understand who Satan is here. But he is not the primary focus of this chapter. And we tend to make him the primary focus. The primary focus of the chapter is the woman. And so I think sometimes we need to focus on the plan that the Lord is accomplishing, which is about this woman and her child, rather than focus on the plans that the enemy is still trying to work against his people. It's important to be aware of those, but it's not the only thing to pay attention to. That's why the dragon, he's just called another sign. Whereas the woman, she is the great sign. So who is the woman? Well, there's several schools of thought, and I'm going to try to whittle these down in a very simple way. You can definitely do more research on them and I encourage you to do so. I just can't spend hours on this in this episode. But there's one school of thought on the matter that comes from the Catholics, actually the Roman Catholics. 
and they hold to the view that this woman is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that the child is Jesus, which appears pretty logical because, you know, that's our pattern that we go by in scriptures, right? In fact, if you pick up a Roman Catholic commentary on this passage, it actually does say that. But the argument that people take against this position is this. First of all, they ask the question, why are we going back in time 2,000 years to the story of Mary and baby Jesus and Bethlehem, that birth, when this is a woman who is heavily pregnant right at the beginning of three and a half years of great tribulation, right before the bulls of wrath, this woman is about to give birth. She's in travail. So the argument they have is, hmm, doesn't fit. Another argument people have against this is that in verse 17 of the same chapter 12, the dragon becomes enraged with the woman and he goes to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So the dragon becomes frustrated with this woman's offspring. So she's got a lot of children. Who are they? Then there's another thought. If this is Jesus, this male child, and if it's really Mary and Jesus, well, then the argument is it leaves out his whole entire ministry, his death, his resurrection. So it's not a complete picture. So that wouldn't fit either. Because why should there be a sudden and unexpected return to the very beginning of the Christian era in the middle of a passage describing the end times, the culmination of the battle between Jesus and Satan. Why bring Mary back into the picture? Because she disappeared after Acts chapter 1 from the New Testament. Her work was completed. These are just arguments people have. I'm just trying to present them to you. And of course, cyclical historicists, they see this as proof of yet another part of the cycle of church history, this time starting the nativity and Satan being defeated and exiled from heaven at that time. But there are still problems because this woman, as you fast forward through the chapter, and we're going to come back to other parts, so hang with me, in order to preserve her life, she has to flee to the wilderness for 1,000 260 days. Mary never had to do that. And 1,260 days is a period which we understand already as the duration of the greatest distress at the end of the church age, the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And this woman, she is in that big trouble. In fact, she is bearing a baby in the big trouble. So that rules out a couple of interpretations there. Yeah, yes, we know that Jesus did die, that Mary did uh, have Jesus and that he uh, ascended back into heaven and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So he is at the throne of God. We do, under, we do know that clearly, but we're still trying to understand this full picture. So there are many arguments about who this woman is. And then those who agree it's not Mary, they will agree it's Jesus because the devil did try and does try to destroy Jesus and his offspring. And so therefore they argue back that the mother, since it's not Mary, it must be the people of Israel who bore Jesus. So the mother is Israel. Could be, but let's keep digging because it still takes us back 
2,000 years to his birth in the middle of talking about the end times. So I'm sure you've heard some of these positions. Well, it's important we work through this because something very interesting happens in the middle of the chapter. When war breaks out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but they didn't prevail. So Satan is then cast out and he's cast to the earth. And what does he do? He goes after the woman. And it says that the woman was given two wings of a great eagle in order to escape from this dragon. And she goes to flee into the wilderness. Now let's pause here for just a moment because this is Exodus language. Don't miss this. You see, when they escaped out of Egypt by God's mighty hand, this, what, there is something that God spoke to them afterwards. We're going to see this happen again where people are going to escape by the hand of God. Only this time it's going to take place at the end of the age, as we're going to see in the book of Revelation. See, Revelation, my friends, is actually the greater exodus. It's the ultimate deliverance from the world in a sense like when they were being delivered out of Egypt. It's that in which we are in bondage to. And right now, we are presently in bondage to this world system that we're all living under, right? And we're seeing every day how it's broken. You know, we are living in this world, whether we like it or not, but this is not our home. Never forget that you are a pilgrim here. That's why the epistles, that's why the Bible always talks about being a sojourner, being a pilgrim, or references to the fact that this is not our home. Keep your eyes fixed above. At the end of this age, this age is coming to an end, and we are going to be going back to our true home. But we have to make an exit out of this place, and God is going to do it in dramatic fashion, just as he did in the story of Moses. Because we are headed to the promised land, my friends. And it's there that we are going to be able to inherit all of the blessings that he promised us through scripture. It's actually quite a magnificent and marvelous picture. And so this woman is given, is going to be given two wings of a great eagle to fly into the wilderness and escape. And I say that this is Exodus language because it comes from Exodus 19.4, where God is calling his people after the deliverance to remember Remember what he has done for them when he says to them, you yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. See, we, the picture of the Exodus, just like the judgments that are going to be coming upon the earth are going to be reminiscent of the judgments that came in Exodus. So too is the deliverance of God's people. God carried his people himself to where? To the wilderness, to a place that he had prepared for them, where he nourished them for a time, right? What did he provide for them in the desert? He gave them food such as manna and quail. He provided water from the rock. He even made the other water that was bitter. He made it sweet and nice for them when they threw the wood into it. Do you remember the story, their whole travel out of Egypt? I encourage you, go back and read the book of Exodus. That's why reading the Old Testament is so vital because everything's going to come full circle. 
This whole work at the end of the age is going to be the work of the Lord against the enemy, against the Pharaoh of the age. And he's going to deliver us on the wings of eagles, just as he did Israel. And he's going to take care of Israel in the wilderness. He's going to take care of her. He's going to take care of this woman. He's going to take care of us. And so it says that she flees to the wilderness to escape. This is all, this is all bringing it back. We must be so careful not to import our world, our worldly thinking, what's going on in the West or wherever it is that you live in the world or our interpretation or thinking of the scriptures. We must be careful not to import our world into it. That's why I said in the very beginning, think like the first century Jewish believers. They would have understood this language so clearly. As he is speaking of the enemy, as he is speaking of this, the woman and the dragon, they understand the battle. They've been living through the battle. Their forefathers lived through the battle. They know the story of Exodus. This language would have been very clearly understood by the readers at the time, what Jesus was referring to in this letter. And so the common belief that is held about this woman is that she is Israel. And if so, then the thought is she will need to flee because the Antichrist, he is going to set up his headquarters in Jerusalem. That's what Jesus says in his discourse in Matthew 24. The Antichrist, the abomination of desolation is going to be set up in Jerusalem. And Daniel speaks of this as well. He's going to set up, set up himself on the Temple Mount. And so the woman is going to be given wings to fly away, which indicates a deliverance. That given eagle's wings is indicative of a deliverance like God did to the people of Moses. Am I making any sense? The desert where Israel wandered for 40 years will most likely be the same desert they are going to return to until Messiah comes and leads them back out after three and a half years. Maybe that's going to be the fulfillment of Zechariah where he says they're going to look upon the one whom they pierced and they're going to grieve and they're all going to come. It's going to be national mourning. See, Jesus, our Messiah, he is going to sig- he signifies a greater Moses and he is going to take them into the promised land. Perhaps this is why the real Mount Sinai has been discovered in Saudi Arabia, Jabal Allah's, that uniquely blackened mountain peak, how they also found Elijah's cave, how there's the split rock standing right there, the altar with the Egyptian engravings, the springs nearby, everything perfectly preserved as if it was never touched all these thousands of years since the days of Moses. It's extraordinary. Is this where God is going to bring them? Well, Satan makes war with this woman and it says he chases after her and he spews water from his mouth like a flood to go after her. And that too is language again from scripture because that type of flooding can indicate war. In other words, Satan is going to pour out his forces into the land of Israel and on the people, on this woman, but it's not going to hurt him. Because the earth helps her, just like it did the Israelites at the Red Sea. Isn't it an amazing picture? And it says the earth helps the woman and swallows them up, right? What happened to Pharaoh's army? They were swallowed up. He didn't have an army left. This enrages Satan so much that he goes back now 
and makes war with her seed. He sees, probably like Pharaoh did, the deliverance of God's people and that he is going to supernaturally protect them. So what does he do? He goes and makes war with her seed. Again, going back to Genesis 3.15 language, the conflict of the righteous against the unrighteous. And who is her seed? All who believe. Jew and Gentile believers in Messiah Jesus. Ephesians 2.12, what does it say? Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without Jesus, we have no hope. But with Jesus, we become part of the commonwealth of Israel. And we are then grafted into the covenants, the promises that he made with Abraham. The blessings of Abraham came upon the Gentiles. How? In Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.14, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we too have those blessings of Abraham, but we only got them through Jesus Christ, and that's in Galatians. Romans 11. I wish people would study Romans 11. That is all about us being the wild olive tree, being grafted into the natural olive tree. We don't support the root. The root supports us. And we can't get haughty thinking we've replaced Israel. Or he said, guess what? If you get haughty, I can cut you off too. We are grafted into this holy root. Why? Because he was creating one new man. He tore down that middle wall of separation And he made us one new man, no longer Jew nor Gentile, one new man in Christ Jesus. But we are rooted into the promises of Abraham. We are part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's why we need to understand our Hebraic roots. That's why we need to understand the Old Testament. Genesis 12, Abraham was called by God and given a promise for all generations who believe. He became the holy womb, so to speak to bring forth the male child. And who was the male child that came forth from all those descendants? Messiah, Jesus. And who are we born again into, born new into? Jesus. We are part of those descendants through Christ, making us children of Israel. We are born of the promise. So guess what? Here in Revelation, Satan makes war with the rest of the woman's seed, her offspring. And who does it say they are? Verse 17, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, my friends, believers are on the earth. And it says in Revelation 12, 11 to 12, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. I imagine that these three and a half years, these last three and a half years of tribulation, we're going to see the greatest martyrdom of Christians 
the world has ever known since the beginning of time. This woman, clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. You know, lights were created in Genesis 1. And it says that the lights in the sky were created for what? For signs and seasons. And those Hebrew words for signs and seasons, signs means they mark something. And seasons mean an appointment, a moed, an appointed time. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything that she has clothed in and the crown of stars indicating authority, they are used by God as markers for God's appointed times. That's what they were created up there for. Yes, to give light, but they have a richer meaning than that too. They mark out very significant things on God's calendar. And they're marking out something very significant here. That this event, this is on God's calendar. It's a sign to the world that the season has begun, the beginning of the very end. But also consider this, that the sun in Genesis is called the greater light and the woman is clothed in the greater light. The great light of the sun sometimes is compared like the glory of God, right? And what is Israel called? A light to the nations. What are believers called? A light of the world. For this woman to be clothed in the sun is to be clothed in the greater light. Perhaps that's why she's called the great sign. What a chapter. What a chapter. So much more we can cover, but we have so much more to go. I hope that you read through this thoroughly. Please read through the book of Exodus. Please consider reading through Daniel chapter 7. And pray and ask God to give you insight and revelation into anything else that he wants to share. God bless you today. Thank you.